This is Civil Discourse. I'm your host, Jamie Newton. My guest is United States Senator Martin Heinrich of New Mexico, who's here with us in Grant County for Independence Day 2017. Senator Heinrich, welcome to Civil Discourse. It is great to be here. Tell us, please, what are your top two to three priorities for the current session of Congress, and have your priorities changed over the last six months in response to the rapid flow of events since Donald Trump assumed the presidency with majorities in the Senate and the House of Representatives? Well, we really have had to react to the the circumstances as they are, and I think right now, given the, the, the threat of losing health insurance for so many people in the state of New Mexico, uh, of having Medicaid expansion threatened. Uh, We could see a quarter of uh, a million New Mexicans lose their coverage, which would be devastating for the state. So at a time when I would love to be uh, fully on the offense and, and doing proactive things to you know, build our democracy, build our economy, uh, we are really fighting right now to hang on to what we have with respect to health care. And I've heard from health experts here in the southwestern part of the state, uh, people like Charlie Alfero and others who have said, you know, that this is absolutely key. If we're going to keep our rural hospitals, keep our rural clinics, uh, this is the fight that we need to, to make right now. And so we're very focused on that. But behind the scenes, there are there is more cooperation than people would expect. And uh, we're trying to rebuild an energy and public lands and sportsman's package again. Uh, That's an area where there's a a high level of bipartisanship. We had a bill. We actually passed out of the Senate last year. It didn't make it through the House because it wasn't a priority for the Speaker. Uh, But we're going to try again, and we think we can put something together that both sides can can support. So we're also looking for those places that aren't a partisan flashpoint to do things constructively and proactively and pragmatically for New Mexico. You're seeking common ground. I recall that just after the election, House Speaker Paul Ryan said his first priority was slashing Medicaid. And you're in a minority in the United States Senate, your colleagues in the House. So you require at least some Republican cooperation to bring any legislation to the desk of the president. And you do see prospects for that seeking areas of common values, common endeavor. There are opportunities. And it's it's about finding those places where you do have common ground and just recognizing that there are other places where we're going to be fighting, you know, existential differences over the course. Uh, You know, we have an administration right now for which I believe there is no analog in recent American history. So there are going to be places where we're going to need to fight, and that's what we're going to do. At the same time, I have very good relationships with a number of Republican senators. Uh, there are people uh, like Jeff Flake in Arizona and Dean Heller in Nevada uh, and others that I have worked with on forestry legislation, on uh, on tax and health care legislation. Um, Dean Heller and I both recognize that the, the Cadillac tax, which was part of uh, included in the ACA when it was passed, the Affordable Care Act, was going to hit middle-class families, not the people it was purported to hit. It's more of a Ford Focus tax than a Cadillac tax. And so we've come together, and uh, we had that pushed back for two years now, so it did not take effect. We're coming back, and we're trying to make that permanent. And those things happen simultaneously with the big battles that you see on on television every single day. So you actually do have 
shared priorities with a number of Republicans, and that gives you some basis for cooperation. I think it's really important right now. Uh, I think our, our country is probably more divided than it has been since the 1860s. And it is incredibly important for us to work extra hard to find the places where there is common ground, recognizing that there are other places where we're simply not going to be able to do that. Let's return to one of those difficult areas that you mentioned a moment ago, the so-called American Health Care Act, the Affordable Care Act known as Obamacare. Over 20 million Americans are at risk of losing all health health coverage within the next decade or so under current proposals by the leadership of the House and Senate. Where do you see this going? What are the implications for New Mexico? And what alternatives are realistically before you? Is there a possibility, let me put it simply, is there a possibility that all Americans might in the near future look forward to the same sense of security that members of Congress and the Senate have given themselves? Well, I I think... This is an enormous issue for the state of New Mexico. There is so much at risk here, uh, but it's important to realize that this is what we're looking at right now. What is proposed, what Mitch McConnell proposed to put on the floor of the Senate is not a health care bill. It is a tax cut uh, paid for by taking Medicaid away from the working poor. And you have to realize that to realize why we're having the debate we're having. It's not about how do we make our healthcare system work better. It's about how do we transfer wealth from those who can least afford it to those who really don't need it. And that's at the fundamental root of of how our economy has failed so many people in the United States over the course of the last 30 years. We've seen growing inequality, and this would only make that dramatically worse. I think that's a mistake from a moral point of view, but it's also a mistake from a competitiveness point of view. We need a working class in this country that has uh, that can see their future, that can see the American dream, that doesn't believe things are hopeless. And until we have real retirement security, real access to health care, uh, until people can believe that they can send their kids to college and not come out of college with so much debt that they have no future, we won't have the kind of middle class that made this country so strong in the 20th century. And so what are the prospects for that kind of health care security now, given the objectives that we've seen by the House and Senate leadership, and it's a little difficult to know exactly what President Trump <laughs> is advocating right it now. It seems to change by the moment. I, I think the most important thing is if we can stop the current bill. And right now, uh, they do not have the votes to pass that legislation. There's going to be an awful lot of pressure brought to bear on those members who have either said, I can't support the bill in its current form, or I'm concerned about the bill. Uh, You know, these dark money organizations funded by the Koch brothers, funded by other conservative institutions, are are planning ad campaigns and instituting ad campaigns in, in states across the country to bring pressure on those members. If we can hold the line and put that to the side, there are lots of things we can do to stabilize the current system. It doesn't work, and we should, you know, for those of us who are Democrats or progressives or on this side of the aisle, 
we have to recognize that there are some things in Obamacare that are not working. If you have a state where there's only one provider in the exchange, that is not tenable. We don't believe in monopolies. We need to strengthen those things. We need to introduce more competition into those places. There are ways to stabilize the market and do that. And one of the reasons why I've worked on the Cadillac tax issue with with Senator Heller is to send the, the message that there are bipartisan solutions to some of the things that we both recognize are broken. We need to focus on those things and not focus on the places where we have the most differences and where the middle class and the working people of this country have the most to lose. Senator Heinrich, let's turn to some of your longstanding concerns. Those I know about include full access to quality education for everyone from childhood through college, employment justice, a living wage, equal pay for equal work for women, and we might add in an end to sexual harassment in the workplace, which is a very prominent issue right now. Tax relief for the working poor. People can actually lose their homes even though they're working full-time and not earning very much. So as wealth and power are increasingly concentrated, as you've mentioned, in the hands of a small elite, what is the future of the American dream for the majority of people in New Mexico and the country? Well, I think we need to, to shift the conversation from... You know, the idea that tax reform should be about how you can give tax cuts to people who least need them in order to drive an ideological agenda to how do we how do we form a social contract that is fair in this country? And I I think it starts with recognizing how hard it has been uh, to to be among the working class in this country for the last 30 years. Harder and harder and harder to see the kinds of opportunities that were really right in front of us when when I was growing up. Um, You know, my mom never finished high school. My dad never finished college. Um, My mom worked in factories. She sewed Levi's. She uh, worked in the auto industry. My dad was a, a, a lineman. And they could provide for a family of five very effectively at that time and plan to send those kids that wanted to college to go to college without a mountain of debt. And I think we have to get away from this Grover Norquist idea that somehow we're going to cut taxes to get to a fair social contract and talk about the fact that it's true in this country that a plumber or a teacher or a small business owner pays a much higher proportion of their taxes uh, on a percentage basis than uh, somebody who makes literally a million dollars a year. And there is no free lunch. So we have to come up with a system that is fundamentally more fair. And that really supports a strength of middle class that will make us more economically competitive in the world today, which is changing rapidly. If we don't get ahead of this, technology will continue to march on. The question is, does it support the, the people who are working, especially in rural areas? And as you see changes like autonomous cars coming, uh, digitization of so many things that we've done manually and with labor in the past, we have to find new ways to put people to work that will make us as a country more competitive. I hear you saying that full health security and workplace justice are really fundamental not only to personal security but to national security. Exactly right. And if, if, if we don't have a, a strong middle class in this country, it will be our own undoing and it will undermine our own competitiveness in the world. 
when you look around at countries like Germany and others in Western Europe that are becoming more and more competitive internationally, they have been able to build a strong middle class, oftentimes through education and through lifelong job training. I'm a big believer in, in that investing in education is really the foundational issue uh, for so many other things. And in the state of New Mexico, I think it's important to realize that the most important thing we can do is not at the federal level. It's at the state level. Uh, we need to take a sustainable portion of our permanent fund in the state and invest it in early childhood education because that is going to be necessary to build the workforce that will allow us to um, to attract the best businesses into New Mexico. We've have a, had a governor that's been resistive to that. We've had too many legislators that have been resistive to that. But the support continues to build. And I, I think it's important to have that conversation at every level of government because it's it's something we can do concrete that will really change the, the future prospects for everyone in this state. Senator Heinrich, you're known as a sportsman and a conservationist. Public lands and the wild Gila River matter a great deal to people here in southwest New Mexico, in Grant County, in Silver City. Our national monuments, our forests, our parks, marine sanctuaries, all are facing unprecedented threats to preservation, to protection. The changes made by Scott Pruitt at the EPA are breathtaking. What can you tell us about these risks as you understand them and what citizens and legislators like yourself can do to protect this heritage for ourselves now and for future generations? When you're sitting in a place like Silver City, it's impossible to not think about the the unique history that New Mexico has had in the creation and protection of those public lands. And with the birthplace of the Gila Wilderness, uh, the work that Aldo Leopold did here, and the long history that we have, multicultural history, of relationship with land and water, uh, I, I think many of the solutions are here in New Mexico. You know, we came together as a community to create two incredible new national monuments over the course of the last few years, uh, Rio Grande del Norte in the northern part of the state and Oregon Mountains Desert Peaks in the southern part of the state. Those things are now at risk by an administration that has no fidelity to the law. I've read the Antiquities Act. It was written back when you didn't have to be a lawyer to write legislation. It's less than a page. Nowhere in it does it does it allow the president to nullify, to get rid of a monument that was created by a previous president? That's what's at risk right now is all the work of local communities to come together to make these things possible that have driven our economies, uh, that really lean our economies into the future rather than hanging on to the past. And um, I do believe they are truly at risk from this president. I'm going to do everything we can to work with local communities to make sure that doesn't happen. If it does happen, we will respond with legislation. Uh, we will, you know, we'll get to the bottom of the, the, the law itself because I think it would be an illegal act. Uh, but we're not going to take this line down. And at the grassroots level, what can people do? Talk, you know, speak up, write a letter to the editor, uh, you know, get on social media. 
the, the Secretary of the Interior is paying attention to how local communities are responding to these proposals. Uh, in Montana, we saw the Missouri Breaks National Monument spared recently. That was in large part because of the outcry in Montana. Uh, we need to do the very same thing here in New Mexico. You mentioned Scott Pruitt. I, yes. I think one of the places that is most disheartening to me is that as we were starting to finally make some really good progress on the climate issue and on shifting our entire um, energy system towards a cleaner, more effective uh, energy system to have somebody come in who's who's embarrassingly a, a complete and utter climate denier, whose idea of a, of a policy council is to, to outsource all of that to industry who will not make us more competitive in this changing world economy when countries like China and India and others are going all in on the future of energy. And I think it's going to be really important for local, you know, from municipalities to county commissions uh, to state legislatures and governors, all to step up and fill that void. And I believe if we do that, we'll actually be able to exceed the, the promises, the commitments that the Obama administration made under the Paris Climate Accord with absolutely no help from the, you know, from the head of the EPA or from the White House. Thank you for that attention to climate change. I think many people here would see rapidly accelerating climate change as perhaps the most overarching important issue that we face with potential for aggravating human conflict, so many things. But I want to turn attention to immigration policies and practices. We've seen just in the last couple of weeks legislation in the House of Representatives, and that will come to you in the mm -hmm. Senate, that would increase pressure on local and state governments to detain and participate in the uh, expedited deportation of people who are suspected of being undocumented immigrants and also increased penalties for people who are deported and returned to this country. So let me ask you, is the message of Lady Liberty obsolete? Is the United States now saying to the rest of the world, you're tired, you're poor, you're huddled masses that so yearn to breathe free, stay on your side of the wall? Is that what we've come to? I think over time, there have certainly been times in our country's history when our potential to meet the ideal of Lady Liberty has waxed and waned. Mm -hmm. uh, we have seen times when that torch has been burning bright, and there have been times in our history with the Chinese Exclusion Act and other things that we have done that, that we look back upon with utter disdain today. We're at one of those points where immigration has once again become a wedge to divide the American people. I have deep, deep concerns about the direction that the Republican leadership would take immigration policy. And I say that as somebody who used to work at the neighborhood level. I worked incredibly hard as a city councilor in Albuquerque to make sure that when somebody knew that there was a drug dealer uh, dealing out of the... the apartment or home next door that regardless of their immigration status, that they would actually trust and call the local police. That if somebody was being abused by their, their partner, um, that they had the trust to call and say, you know, this is a domestic violence issue. My neighbor or myself is being uh, abused and know that they would be treated on the merits of that issue by the local police force. 
And when the federal government tries to turn the local police force into an immigration enforcement force, you can lose that trust, and it takes decades to get it back. That has deep and profound impacts on the level of domestic violence, on the fabric of the community, and I think that is entirely lost on many of the people writing legislation in the House of Representatives. And I think we owe it to ourselves, especially those of us who, you know, I come from a family where I'm first generation. My father came here as an immigrant. We need to get this right, and we need to meet the potential that we have as a country. Fear at the community level interferes with community law enforcement. It does. And the, and the, job, of, the job of local law enforcement is to do local law enforcement. They are not trained or equipped or funded by the federal government to be an immigration task force. And to ask them to do that is not just an unfunded mandate, but it's a it, it it's bad policy that will have many unintended consequences. Or maybe they are intended. I don't know. But we can do better. Senator Heinrich, Did the 2010 Citizens United decision and the dynamics of the last campaign season reduce America to the best democracy dark money can buy, the best democracy manipulators of fake news can orchestrate? How fares the republic on this 2017 Independence Day in your judgment? Well, I think that Citizens United is a direct and existential attack on that democracy, the the lack of transparency that we have in the current system uh, means that, that it can be manipulated without people understanding where that manipulation is coming from. And it is disheartening to me to see that we now have a, an election system in this country where in a competitive race at the federal level. And you can look back at the last election and look at the swing states where where it was obviously going to be close. Take New Hampshire, where it was they didn't know who won. Uh, you know, it went on well past election night. If you look at both of those candidates, and I know them both very well, they represented a minority of the, the money that was spent in that race. Much more was spent from outside interests who did not have to disclose their donors, who, who you didn't know who was supporting what and why, more importantly. That should concern every American, Republican or Democrat or Independent. I think that is a, an utter attack on our democracy. It makes the mistake that, that, uh, of assuming that corporations are people and money is free speech. We should know by now that it, that is wrong. And it's not working in the best interests of our democracy. The last question, maybe we can weave these together. What would you like listeners to remember and do based on this interview? And if you can say anything about what you know about the alleged Russian intervention in American elections related to that last question, please do. Well, let's talk about the, the, the second question first. Yes. It is very clear now that the charge of the Senate Intelligence Committee's investigation, first and foremost, was to determine whether or not the Russians interfered actively in our elections. There is no question that the answer to that is yes. Um, They were actively inside election systems in the United States. That should deeply concern all of us. More importantly, in my view... They were able to manipulate our 
media cycle in this country, which is foundational to democracy, to have a conversation of and by the American people with each other without manipulation from the outside. They used human trolls. They used bots pretending to be United States citizens to drive stories to trend in on our iPhones in ways that were very sophisticated. We need to make sure in 2018, in 2020, in 2022, that we are ready for that and, and not get caught flat-footed the way we did. I think the most important thing that people can do right now is to realize that the things that made, that have made our country the, the example it is to the world, the things that make it great to all of us, are not self-sustaining. They require investment from all of us. All of the things that, that make this country so strong, they don't simply continue themselves. We have to invest in them. And that means being part of that democracy. It means running for office. It means being involved in the local civil discourse. It means volunteering for your local public school. Um, if we don't do those things, there is no guarantee that the greatness of uh, this uh, American experiment continues into the future. It is only based on how hard we work to keep what we have and to make it better over time. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, a public affairs production of Gila Mimbris Community Radio and KURU 89.1 FM. My guest has been United States Senator Martin Heinrich of New Mexico. Senator, thank you so much for being with us on Civil Discourse. It's great to be with your listeners. Thanks to our audio engineer, Kyle Johnson, and thank you for listening and for supporting Gila Mimbres Community Radio. I'm Jamie Newton. <laughs>